Fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Hour number two on this Monday. Call it a manic Monday, a magnificent Monday. Call it what you want. Glad to have you with us here. All right. We'll talk more UFC 261 that took place in Florida. Yes, fans. Heidi Fang will join us. Appreciate Matt Holt for joining us last hour. You can catch that up on the website at any time at tcmartinshow.com. And also, don't forget, get on over to any of the William Hill Sportsbook properties. Use the promo code TC50. That's right. Still going strong there. $53 in a brand new account when you open it up. Take advantage of it. Oh, yeah. Take advantage of the free $50. They'll match it with an additional $50 when you open a new account at any of the William Hill Sportsbook properties. If you don't have the William Hill mobile app, make sure you get it so easy to use. Download it on your phone first, then get over to any of the sportsbooks that offer William Hill, as well as the kiosks around town. And again, promo code is TC50 for that. And uh, yes, you got yourself uh, some, some winning action there. William Hill mobile app. All right. And if you bet the Padres last night, you got plus money. You were down seven to one and uh, came back and won eight to seven. Very exciting. Very nice to see baseball coming back with some rivalries. And still, you know, a lot of people talking about Major League Baseball saying that, hey, you know, there's too many strikeouts. Um, you know, some of the goofy rules and everything. And we talked about this last week as well, too. You know, you've got the doubleheaders that are seven innings. I'm not a big fan of that. The extra innings, and we've seen plenty of these extra inning games, where you start with a runner on second. Now, I always joke around and say, okay, that's the softball rule, because if you follow women's softball, college softball, or even youth softball, uh, when you g- get two extra innings, they put a runner on second base. Well, Major League Baseball decided to go to this last year during the shortened season, and uh, it's one of these experiments that is starting to gain steam, and they agreed to have it this year. You talk to a lot of the baseball traditionalists like we have on this show, Steve Sachs, Chris Bazio, and the list goes on and on. They say, you know, it's not baseball, it's softball. But like anything, when there is change and you start seeing some positive results, people start flipping their, their mind a little bit. Me, for one, I might be skewed a little bit because – being a former softball coach and coaching my daughter in competitive teams over the years, uh, I know when this first came into play, I wasn't used to it. You know, coaching, I'm going, okay, well, now you got to figure out how you can strategize that and how you can use it to your advantage. And um, there, there are plenty of ways that you can do that. So for me, I wasn't big into it with Major League Baseball because, yes, I'm a traditionalist. But the more I'm watching it and the more extra inning games we're seeing, I am enjoying it. And I don't know if that's part of the norm, how people feel, or if they feel, okay, it's just so far out there because they've never seen it in action before. Um, maybe because I've been a part of it, I've, I've watched it on television and been part of it, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I don't know where you stand on this, where listeners stand on this, but I have a feeling, like the designated hitter, this is something that will probably be a permanent thing for Major League Baseball going forward. Um, it, it very well might. I'm not a big fan of it. it, it it's kind of like basically saying, okay, we're starting the inning off and they got a leadoff double to start the inning right. with the person on second. Uh, I still don't like the DH and never will. Yeah, they, they don't care what I think about it because it's never going away. In fact, eventually, I believe the National League will have it as well. So then it's basically unified all across baseball, all across the world. Uh, are, they, are they using the person on second in extra innings in the playoffs as well? Regular season only, from what I okay. understand. Okay, and see, right? that's what, to me, that's makes the it problem. Just, it makes it just like hockey's yeah. thing with the overtime and the shootout. Right. It's good enough for the regular season, but not for the playoffs. 
well, then it's really not something that you're sold on and you're going to do. And I get it in hockey where they don't want guys going five or six overtimes or something like that, and the players' union has say in it and that. And I do kind of find that entertaining, so maybe it sounds a little bit hypocritical that I'm okay for it in hockey but not in baseball. And, again, I'm used to baseball doing it. It's not like it's a game-breaker where I don't turn on the game. And in hockey, I find it exciting, especially three-on-three overtime. So there is a little bit of a difference. But it it always kind of kills me a little bit saying, well, every game means so much. Every regular season game means so much because these races come down to the end. But then what you're really telling me is they really don't because the playoff games is what really matters, and we don't have the same rules. If you're going to have a rule, I kind of think that it should just be the rule you have throughout. And if you're not, then you're not really sold on the rule. That's why I'm curious to see. Now we know, like, with the designated hitter, well, the American League still has it. The National League doesn't. We've talked about it before. I don't think the Cubs win their World Series if they would have had a home field advantage when they played the games in Cleveland. So it's weird to me that they have different rules for regular season and the playoffs. And I don't know if that's going to change. I don't know when it's going to change. But um, the one thing that I do like about it with the person on second, or the man on second, Mm -hmm. but – I do like that it does immediately make pressure pitches every single pitch. You can say you kind of do anyhow, but you don't really if it's, you know, if you have a, a slap hitter or something like that who's just a contact hitter trying to make plays. Now all of a sudden that contact hitter could drive in a run or something. So it does make it exciting with that potential run already in scoring position. And like you said, as a manager, how do you utilize it? Well, that depends on the talent you have. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have big bombers coming up next, maybe you don't care about a man on second. But we're talking about a game where there's a lot of strikeouts and everybody's always trying to hit the long ball. What did we just talk about with that Dodger Padres series in the first hour? The fact that even the big bombers did just try to make contact and drive in the runs. Yeah, Tatis had a lot of home runs. When he needed to just get a hit, he got a hit. Machado just got a hit. So if your players are disciplined and if they're willing to still play small ball, it could come in. You know, do you bunt the runner over? Well, who's coming up after you bunt them over? Is it someone that you know is going to get a sack fly? Then maybe you do. Is it someone who's, you know, punching Judy or something like that and just trying to get a hit? Well, then maybe you just maybe try to do let him, let him hit away. So as far as utilizing the circumstances, I think it totally depends on who you have coming up in the lineup. Or as a relief pitcher coming in because we've used all of our, our position that, players that already. Can, that can and, happen and, as well. That's what happened several times. You know, last night's Padre Dodger game, as we talked about earlier. I'm also Come, curious to see what happens, and not to cut you off no. there, but the first time when we see a pitcher that's the that they put on second to run because they don't want to use somebody up and they put them out there. And when somebody pulls a hamstring or a muscle or something like that, like we saw at the Yankees years ago when Rivera just shagging fly balls, which every pitcher does every game, but he hurt himself the one time and everybody went, what was he out there for? Well, because they're out there all the time. Then they're going to be like, why was he? So, you know, there's going to be an incident where somebody goes, well, this is a dumb rule and someone's going to get hurt from it. All right, a couple things on that, what you just mentioned there. And when you talk about that, we have separate rules for postseason compared to regular season. I agree with you. If you're going to have it for one, you should have it for the other. And let's remember why we're doing this. Not us, but why Major League Baseball decided to do this. Okay, They decided to, do, uh, to have a runner on second because they didn't want to have these long games. They didn't want to uh, expend bullpens any further. But it's really not having... That effect. I mean, sure, you're getting some games done in 10 and 11 innings, but you still have some 12 and 13 inning games. You're probably not going to have the 17, 18 inning games, but those are kind of an anomaly anyway. But they're doing this basically to kind of, okay, speed the game up a little bit, not, not extend the bullpens anymore, and move on. Same reason with these double headers. When you have a double header now, there's seven innings because okay, we don't want to, you know, we want to save the exact same reasons why they're doing it. But you're right. If you're doing it in the regular season only, then you are sending the message like, well, it's really not that good of an idea or it's not that important or else we would be doing it in the regular season. So it does send a mixed message like that. So that that's that's very curious. But I'm going to go back to the DH. And I know you don't like the DH. Uh, I didn't like it way back when, but like anything else, I get used to it. And after watching, and we talked about it in the first hour, you watch a game like the Padres and the Dodgers where you are forced to pinch hit every time your pitcher comes up. And then you run out of position players 
because either the game goes too long or you mismanage the game, then you are now having to have relief pitchers who never hit ever in crucial situations and extra innings with men on base to determine a game. Even though you're watching this and it makes you sick to watch these pitchers hit because they don't have a clue, doesn't it make you say, I'd rather see a DH and, 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 and put the better hitters up there and it'll limit the substitutions for lifting pitchers all the time? For me, no. Because of one thing that you said earlier yep. in, that, uh, in, in that statement you made. Because it was mismanaged. I'm sorry if you mismanaged and you didn't save players and put them in. Maybe you shouldn't have pinched it for that guy in the 16 and when it didn't mean as much or something. Maybe you mismanaged. Just like the pitcher when you said, well, the 17 and 18 inning games are an anomaly. And they are. But why, even in those games, do pitchers... Do managers run out of pitchers? Because they've mismanaged it earlier. Because how many times do we see three pitchers in one inning? Oh, the lefties in to get out the left. They pitched to one batter today. Well, you can't be, anymore, be, but yeah, you right, have to go but, three. But, but, but yeah. I'm saying, but they, they had all these rules. They used them, and they misused them, and then they had to make up rules to manage the fact that they didn't know what the hell they were doing before. If you've mismanaged yourself and you painted yourself into the corner where you got nobody left, then you deal with it. You know, in my opinion, because a manager doesn't know how to do his job is not a reason for the entire game of baseball to have to change. Now, maybe I'm the old guy shaking my fist at the kids walking on my lawn, but that's what I am. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I, I don't like change necessarily. Again, like I said, I like the excitement factor of it. I'll never like the DH, but yeah, did I want to see some pitchers come up to bat? No. But I also remember pitchers that I did like coming up to bat. And all of a sudden, if you were pitching against them, now you had to face nine men in the lineup instead of just the eight. And if there's too many strikeouts and things like that, well, tell the guy that's hitting 160 to quit trying to swing for the fence every time and get on base for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of things that have done in, that are done in baseball today are done because the game's changed because of the way it is managed and played in that kind of stuff. You know, you're good friends with Dusty Baker. Does he like managing the American League or the National League more? I mean, he knows both leagues very well. I'm guessing it's a lot different managing the American League than the National without the pitcher batting. Well, according to him, he likes, obviously, he he loves the National League because, again, that's where he played for the majority of his career, and he managed up until the last two seasons with Houston. He's never managed in the American League. And he did say it's easier to manage in the American League because you don't have to worry about the double switches. Right. So, yes. So, again, he'll adapt like he always has, and it's easier because you don't have to face those type of decisions and you can utilize your bullpen and everything differently. And and, and he doesn't have to worry about walking the bases loaded to get to a pitcher coming to bat. 100% correctly. So. But let's let's go back to this. And again, you can be that guy who's shaking your fist, get off my lawn or whatever, and again, but you know, you can take a deep breath as well and say, okay, I understand some things in life are better for change. And we are true I like to use the word traditionalist, which I use all the time. And but I'll tell you where I've kind of came to the DH, and maybe because we've seen it so much for the past what, 30, 40 years now. Well it isn't DH going anywhere. Like, it's not going anywhere. But he, here's the Okay, you said that you used to love watching some pitchers hitting this and that. It's a different game now. And I'm not talking about Major League Baseball. It's the game of baseball going all the way down to the high school level where you're not even seeing your pitchers anymore. This has been this way going back 25-plus years when because I was a pitcher in high school. And it was at that time when I was in high school where – our unquote unquote coach or manager started to get the idea. Hey, you know, DH, all this kind of stuff. You know, pitchers, we're gonna you're gonna have somebody else hit. Well, wait a minute. You know, I'm still a pretty good hitter here. And a lot of pitchers, as we always talk about in little league and everything. You know, the Kelly Leaks of the world and whatever. I mean, you even though Kelly wasn't a pitcher, bad example. The bad news bears. But you know, most of these great athletes, and you see it in the Little League World Series, they bat third, they bat fourth, and they're the pitcher and that sort of thing. The pitcher or the shortstop well, on the days it, that they don't Exactly. Pitch. But when they get to high school now, you are starting to see more of that, okay? And we're, we used to see multiple sports stars as the kids, and you're not seeing that. Well, now when you play baseball, they want you to pitch only. And their thing is, if you're going to be a pitcher, 
You know, in Major League Baseball, if you have a, ch- a shot to go there, or in the minor leagues, you're not going to get a chance to hit anyway. So let's start this at the high school level. So these kids now, if you are pitching, they're not as polished and not as schooled to be those hitters like they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. And that's where it starts to deteriorate. By the time these guys come up through the minor leagues, they haven't picked up a bat if they're a pitcher. So that's the thing. It's like you have to spend so much time to perfect your craft as a hitter. And if you're a pitcher, you have to spend so much time to perfect your craft as that. Otani, as we're seeing here with the Angels, they don't know what to do with this guy because this guy is an anomaly. Anomaly. He was over in, in uh, playing in Japan, and he was trying to do both. And the Angels are trying to think, we're not sure still what to do with this guy because he's a phenomenal pitcher, but he's got this big bat, so what do they do? And there's no way in the world, when you talk to anybody in Major League Baseball, that if Otani is going to be a great hitter, you can't have him spend time, equal time being a pitcher and working on that that you can as a hitter. So it has to be one or the other. And the Angels are at the crossroads now where they have to make up their mind, is this guy going to be solely a pitcher or is he going to be solely a hitter? And I say you've got to make this guy a hitter because from what we've seen in this guy over the last two seasons, he's a better hitter than he is a pitcher. I mean, I believe he's thrown uh, eight innings this year. He has 11 walks. Okay, so the writing's kind of on the wall there. And this guy hit, hit what, two or three bombs against the Astros last weekend. So the long story short, you, you can't do 50-50 in this game. And if we're going to have a DH, the National League should probably come to the realization, okay, fine, we'll get off our swords here and we'll do it as well too. And you would probably see some better baseball. You probably see some better baseball instead of what you know, we saw a good game last night. It was an exciting game, but man, we saw some ugly at bats because you don't have the DH. Yeah, and, and and that's true and that's fair. But we also saw some of those ugly at bats because managers didn't set themselves up mm-hmm. for those later innings and that kind of stuff. And and while I'll agree with you on some of those things, so if Otani was born in the United States, would he be a pitcher or a hitter right now? Depends on what they decided to groom him as when he was in high school. Yeah, We wouldn't know that he could do both because he wouldn't have been given that opportunity. So why don't you at least let people have both things? Like you mentioned, in Little League, usually your best player is your pitcher, shortstop, and your best hitter in that too. Well, then what do you do? At what age do you say, okay, we know that you're hitting you know, more homers than anybody on the team, but you're a pitcher, so that's all you're going to do now. I, I just don't like it. You're pigeonholing it. Like you said, when you don't have the two-star athletes. So are we never going to have or, or the, the multiple yeah, sports sport athletes? I, yeah, it's are, gone are, by the are, wayside. Yeah, are, are, are we not going to have another Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson? Probably not. D- Dave Winfield, they said, could have played yeah, baseball, football, basketball. But times have know. changed. Right. Yeah. They have. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that, that it's all changed for the better. And, and what if, and, I'm, and I know this happens out there, okay, so you have somebody like Dave Winfield. A young 17-year-old Dave Winfield, who's all-American at all sports. This is your sport now, and you're not playing the other ones. What if he picks the wrong one? Yeah. What if they put him in the wrong one? But this is what's happening. I mean, this but is what's But it doesn't ha- mean it's I, right. I, I, I understand <laughs> that, but that's just the way. I mean, you're, the references that you are giving are 30 and 40 years old. Not saying that you're wrong, but again, when you get to... High school, and when you are uh, graduate from high school, I mean, like Randy Lurch told us, okay, Randy Lurch went to high school in the 70s. He's one of the best hitting pitchers that Major League Baseball has ever seen. And he loved to pitch. But what did he tell us? What's he said? I want, I'd love to hit more. I wanted to hit. And they told me, you yeah, know, you can't hit. But then he went to a National League, and he got a chance to hit. He was phenomenal at it. But then as his time weighed on, he got to hit less and less and less, and that's it's now gone. But, yeah, there are still kids like that, but they're nowhere near what we saw before. And, no, we will not get a chance to see the Dave Winfields, the Deion Sanders, the Bo Jacksons. We're not going to get to see that anymore. Well, of course we're not going to get to see it because they don't even give them the opportunity to do it. So you can't see something that's not there. 
You can't see Bigfoot if you don't go in the mountains, and even then you're actually not going to because he doesn't exist. But you still, what I'm saying is, you know, if you don't even give somebody the opportunity, how are you going to see it? How are you going to know? And, of course, I'm going back to that time because that's where it was. Yeah, they have to choose And I'll go back even years before that again. Rick Wise once threw a no-hitter and hit two home runs in the same game. Yeah, yeah. We ain't going to see that again. I know. Yeah. I mean, now half the time, if a pitcher's having a good game on the mound, they tell him to go up there, swing the bat three times, and sit your butt back down on the bench because, and by the way, by yourself so nobody's around you. <laughs> unless you're Chris, that, that, That's loosening up a little bit. <laughs> unless you're Chris Bosley and you're going, why is nobody sitting around me? Well, you haven't given up a hit yet. So, right. <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, it's, and, and again, and I understand it's a different world, and I understand it's a different mentality, but it amazes me, and, and again, and I know I've said it, and this is way back more than 30, 40. The league that had Babe Ruth is the one that took the pitcher out of the batter's box. That always cracks me up. The home run hitter, the king of home runs, until many, many years later when Hank Aaron came along in that, was the league that had the designated right. hitter that said pitcher should not hit anymore. I don't get it. Part of the beauty of baseball is you have to play offense and defense. You can't hide somebody. If you have Dave Kingman in your lineup, he's got to play defense someplace, and he's going to suck at it. But he might hit a 500-foot home run. Now you can hide somebody like that and just make them the DH. Have a couple hot dogs, and when it's in, you know, swing the bat four times a day. Right now you've got one guy, and there's more than that, but for the sake of, of conversation here, you have one guy in Otani who is a legitimate hitter, a guy that can probably hit. If he played every day as a DH or in the field, he could probably hit 30 home runs, maybe even bat 280, 290, 300, and he also can be a fantastic pitcher. That's one guy out of, and again, every roster has anywhere between 12 and 14, 15 pitchers, so times 30, you you do the math there. So... You're not going to hang on by a rule for the minority, for one guy. You're going to go ahead with the majority. And the majority of pitchers right now are horrendous hitting pitchers because they don't work at it, and they haven't been able to hit for a number of years. And their teams will not let them um, spend time in the cage if they're a pitcher. You know, very, very minimal. And again, to be an elite athlete, at this stage, if you're a pitcher, you've got to focus all your time being a pitcher. If you're going to be a hitter, you've got to focus all your time being a hitter. So that's why this probably – it has to go this way because we are tired of seeing these pitchers come up automatic outs. And not even just automatic outs, Frank, but just not even having the proper mechanics. Seeing these guys I – mean, look at Clayton Kershaw. He's a, he's a good hitter, right? But if those at-bats – he was swinging the bat while the ball was nearly in the glove. Oh, he almost killed Dave Roberts in it, the third base dugout last night twice. It looked horrible. But again, think of what you just said there. Why we're in this situation? Because the teams don't let them bat. They put a but minimal that's... time in the cage. We have one guy because he was raised someplace else. Otherwise, we wouldn't know if he could hit and yeah. pitch or whatever. They're the ones that made the system. They're the reason. I don't agree with the process. I'm with you. I don't agree with the process, right. but, 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 it's, but it's, it's what's in front of us. But, but I'm right? saying for, for you to say that it's like, well, they're not going to change it for the one guy. When it's, we don't know if anybody else can do it because they're not even given the opportunity to do it anymore. And, yeah, probably most of them can't. Well, the you, results bear that, that they can't. I mean, when have you seen but a pitcher hit over bear, 200? But the results bear that because they don't even give them the opportunity to work on that part of their craft. Right. And it's amazing. Now you only have to pitch. You pitch, that's all you do. And then you come in, well, you might pitch to one batter because you're a specialty pitcher. Or you've got this many pitches, we're taking you out of the game. Oh, we got four, five strong innings from you. Hell, a lot of pitchers consider four innings a good quality start these days or whatever. When the other guys would be going through the lineup the third or fourth time right. to try to get something done. Because we keep on lowering the bar for everything. Oh, this guy can't go nine. Let's see if he can go seven. Oh, seven's kind of a lot. Well, five's an official game. You can see with the win there. Well, he's at four and a half. You know, he's in his fourth inning. He's got a man on base, though. He's not going to be able to get the win, but let's pull him out now because he's got 83 pitches because he's kind of been all over the place. Meanwhile, Nolan Ryan was throwing 200 pitches in a game. I get it. It's a different era. I get it. It's a different mentality. I also get it that this is part of the the pussification of the game and America and the way that things are now. 
because mm-hmm. everyone wants to just make it as easy. Let's not pole vault over the bar. Let's not even high jump over the bar. Let's limbo under it and see what the minimum requirement is to get the job done these days. Isn't it a societal problem, though? It, it's, it's Absolutely. Soci- in our line of work. It's soft. It's in a everywhere, soft world. In, in everyone's line of work. I'm going to say everyone's line of work. But the bar is lowered. In society. Well, it's lowered yeah. in schools. It's yes. lowered in passing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh. Sad. Oh, well, you know, he's got a D, but well, let's just make it a pass-fail class. You know? Oh, th- you know, this team hasn't won a game in years. We'll quit keeping score and both kids get a trophy afterwards or a ribbon or something like that. Let's give them a medal. Hey, you're not a loser. You're a competitor. Now go out to the job world and see how that works. I don't think they give participation trophies in a job that you suck at. <laughs> Unless you're a pitcher and you want to hit as well. <laughs> Times have changed, no doubt. Not necessarily embrace for the better. It. Better embrace I'm it. I'm not embracing <laughs> it. I know you won't embrace it, but I think that we have to because we're watching some pretty bad baseball out of the you ninth don't have spot. To. You, you, yeah. you choose to yeah. because you have lowered your standards as a fan. <laughs> are you talking to me personally? Are you talking yes. To, yes. Yes. Right now. Yes. You're. You're okay. I'm, it's just the way people it's going to be. So I'm just gonna people it actually now. are thinking we're arguing right now. No, we're yeah. not arguing. We're no. having a a discussion at a high volume. <laughs> I, I, no, and again, I don't disagree with everything. Like I, I said, I like I the person on second base. Some pitchers I'm just are bringing up the facts, are, are plain and simple. Yeah, and and those are the facts. But again, they're the facts because that's the way they're set up to be today. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So, like anything, you have to adjust with the times. And managers are doing it, and players are doing it, and and fans have been, uh, become accustomed to this. But again, is it? Is the way it, no? And look at every sport. Okay, before we, we leave this this topic here, every sport has rule changes, and for the most part, we sit there and debate. And this is what we do: sports talk radio. None of them are really for the better. Okay, they but all say that but, they are, but oh, it's for the safety but it's of the player, for the this, for the that. It, it, it's redundancy. It's over and over and over that you actually accept it and you get used to it. So. That's really where it's at. I mean, again. Well, I might get used to it. A lot of times I I still haven't accepted the DH. Yeah. So. And, and, and you think I've accepted the block charge call in basketball with the halo underneath? Is that ridiculous? A guy could go there and plant for a half of a second. Oh, but if his feet are, you know, outside of the golden halo, that's ridiculous. It's one of the most ridiculous rules, but that's the rule, and everyone's accepted that now. Same thing with football, with pass interference and this and that. How about... How about teaching the fundamentals? Defensive backs, keep your hands off the receiver. Then you, we don't even have an issue. Keep your hands off. You don't, you don't need to push and shove and hold and that sort of thing. Oh, man, it was just a little bit. Whoops. According to the rules, a little bit is a flag. Plain and simple. So, yeah, we've become accustomed to this because we've kind of lowered the bar all areas. Not well, just well, in sports, but in society. We can become accustomed to a lot of different stuff. Yeah. People are accustomed to not seeing... A, a Devin Hester running back kickoffs for touchdowns anymore because they're trying to take kickoffs out of the game. Doesn't mean I don't miss it. Doesn't mean it shouldn't still be there. It means that today, oh, Johnny got a boo-boo running back to kickoff, so let's just try to take it out of the I game. Love, uh, every one of Frank's references are at least 25 to 30 years old. But that's okay. I can, I can relate to that's that. That's because that's when the games were fun <laughs> and they played them properly. Change, man. Ch-ch-ch-changes. I'm sorry, everything's become flag football and touch baseball and this, that, and the other. What, I don't even know what the hell half the, half the stuff is anymore. I know it at the games that I grew up with, like in basketball. Oh, you don't want to go down low and maybe get beat up? Oh, we'll just shoot threes now. Let's just make it a three-point shooting contest. Touch baseball. I like to see that. There you go. It'd be like lingerie baseball, lingerie football, touch baseball. I don't know. I hope you're talking different <laughs> genders for this. <laughs> When we come back, Heidi Fang will join us and we'll get her thoughts as she covered UFC 261 next. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and lucky you, you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. Uh, Let's go, baby, go. All right, recapping a little UFC 261 again this hour. And joining us now is... One of the greatest reporters of all time. The m- most misversatile reporter of all time. She's got a little funk and R&B knowledge. And ladies and gentlemen, not only does she cover the UFC, she covers the Raiders. She covers just about everything here in town. Uh, but she is also 
the Queen Baker, from what I'm understanding. I understand there is a <laughs> Spider-Man cake on display. Heidi Fang, talk to me. <laughs> Very superstitious. I'm still singing. Sing it, girl. Go ahead. Pump it up, Nubchuck. Let, let Heidi sing yeah, along. There we go. There it is. The a, little, a little karaoke with <laughs> Heidi Fang, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. And the hits look. keep on coming on the T.C. Martin Show. There you go. I can't sing. Oh. <laughs> now, that the, now that the music's there, you can't join in. <laughs> I could do that. Well, what a fight card, though. So, if you go karaoke, which I know you do, what's your go-to? <laughs> I, I like to sing some Spanish tunes. I'll sing a little Selena. I'll sing a little Son of a Preacher Man, some Dusty, you know, and I'll wow. go out there and I'll... Dusty I'll sing some if I'm in the mood. If I've had one too many cocktails, it's all about I will survive. But, you know, that song has become kind of like one of those anthems that you get sick of hearing at karaoke things. So I, I switch it up a little bit. You know, sometimes I rap throughout the Beastie Boys. Oh, there's my jam. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mm, T.C. Martin yeah. Show. Uh, <laughs> bing, bingo, bingo Parlor Karaoke <laughs> USA. Heidi Fang will now take the stage. Go ahead, Heidi. <laughs> Oh, yeah, my uh, beat on. That's when Billy would take me walking. <laughs> I'm loving this. Lord knows tonight, only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. <laughs> That's my and I know, I know that uh, you're a big Pulp yes, Fiction fan, was. obviously, too, right? He was. You gotta yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. Big, big Pulp Fiction Absolutely. fan because actually we know that this was in Pulp Fiction. That was on last night, too. Yes, it was. Uh-huh. Pulp Uma Fiction Thurman. was on last night. Absolutely. Yep. It was on a couple different yeah. times. Wow. Mr. Volta walks up to the door. There Hello? Go. There it is. There it is. the <laughs> mundo. Pretty good shake. I don't know if it's worth $5. <laughs> five. A $5 shake in 1994. I gotta try that. Yeah. I never had a $5 shake. Gotta try that. Uh, now that's like the standard. I think they set the standard for shake. Yeah, there's no doubt. That All movie right. started it. And now everywhere is like a $5 shake. I just know one thing. I would love to open a Jackrabbit Slims right here in Vegas. Let's do that. Right? Plain and simple. Let's get on it. That's it. Yeah. And, and you can dress up as Marilyn Monroe money. one night and, uh, you know, Mimi Van Doren the next night. How's that? All right. Sounds good, man. If I had put some money down on Rose, like I might have actually had, uh, you know, the seed money for you, but I didn't back up my own, my own, my own thought process. Ooh. Well, you were busy Sorry, hosting a, little... a party and doing some bakery stuff and, <laughs> and uh, playing some cornhole. And I understand that you were actually. Uh, I was told to ask you about the cornhole, but but I will say the person that said to ask you that did say that in your defense, you were doing a lot of different things, being the hostess of the party. I was hosting a party. I was watching my son in the pool. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a lot of fires burning that day. So <laughs> I was making enchiladas. I had enchiladas. Wow. I had cupcakes. I, wow. kind of, I, stuff was happening, man. How was Big the party? How was the cake? Oh, it was really good. I must say, I'm an excellent cook. The cousin, uh, my cousin, came down with that recipe for a red velvet cake because Spider Man's red, right? So I figured, well, let's put the red in the cake because of spider-man and so i made a red velvet cake with like webs all over it and stuff it was cool so Good here's time. what i want to know how how long did that take you to make this spider-man cake because he let t- me tell you I started... that's, that's too much time for me Come well on. and there were cupcakes and everything to go with it as well oh. it wasn't just the cake and the enchiladas and everything else <laughs> and where's the... i might have a future in tiktoking some recipes or something i just Somebody cool has to show me how to do a TikTok, right? Because I'm an Listen. old lady, and when we get out there, we're like, what are we doing with these TikToks? So I go, and I, I start, and it was 9 o'clock at night on um, Friday when I started. And then by the time I was done, it was 10 a.m. on Saturday. How dare you talk about food and these delicacies, and you know that I'm a foodie, without sending any over, any type of invite or oh anything. Oh, my God. Jeez, that's just, it, right, it's hurtful. So when you all hurtful. Open up, when you all open up the studio and say, Heidi, come in the studio, I will bring you red velvet cakes. What are we talking about? Studio's open now. Oh, open open invitation? What are you talking about? <laughs> that's T- a T- promise. TC's got a key lock these days. Doors always open. That's right. <laughs> all right, lock it up. 
Let's do it. We don't even necessarily have to be on the air. We can still open the door. I, yeah. <laughs> and you can come down to the Cosmopolitan on Friday. I mean, there you go. We're going to be talking some Heck horse yeah. racing. Come on come on by Friday. Okay. There it is. Yeah, but don't come up your hand, girl. That's all I'm saying. My grandpa used to love those ponies. Yeah. He'd take me out there, and we'd do the walk around. You know, you got to see them first. You, gotta say. you always got to go see the horses first. Got to go to the paddock. And then you go gotta look go at to how the they do. Yeah. And yep, yep, there they yep. go. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little UFC yeah. 261. Let's first start with the main event. Uh, I don't think it was much of a main event. And, you know, Usman was a big-time favorite, second-round KO, big right hand, hammer fist to the face, uh, game over. Tell us what you thought. I thought it was pretty nuts just considering what went down there because nobody, 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 nobody mm-hmm has knocked out Jorge Masvidal in the UFC. So to see it go down like that was pretty crazy, Um, especially the way he went out because he was just, you know, he was done. He was out, and uh, it was full-on KO. And the one time I remember it was, like, way back when he fought in Japan, probably, like, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, somewhere around that neighborhood of time, (laughs) Uh, was the only other time I've seen Masvidal stop the strikes, but not fully done, knocked out with a punch. So, you know, I mean, testament to his career. He's fought over, you know, 50 fights professionally that are recorded. And then beyond that, he had all the backyard brawl stuff that he did. You know, he probably fought amateur circuits for a while, other things like that outside of his career. So when you start thinking about all the fights that Masvidal's been in for him to never have been KO'd that way, it's a real testament to the power of, Kamaru Usman. So, I mean, I think for a long time, a lot of people have just considered Usman to be a wrestler. They thought, like, that's his strength. That's where he, he lies. That's, you know, what his game plan is going to be when he comes out to fight you. So, for him to get that win on the feet, it was just a statement on top of being who he is in this division, a 19 1 champ right now, who nobody is, I don't see, going to really be uh, in competition with him in the foreseeable future. I just don't see a guy that's going to step up right now that can beat him. I don't see it. And, you know, when you saw that punch, too, because I watched it several times, as I'm sure you did, but um, it was it was perfect in the way that Usman kind of caught the left hand with his left hand, then threw the right, mm-hmm. knocked him down. Then when he went down, jumped down and did the hammer fist. I remember afterwards in the press conference where one of the reporters asking, you know, did it feel good to get in a couple extra shots? And he's like, what are you talking about extra shots? The, the, the ref hadn't stopped it yet, and I'm taught to go on until it's over or whatever. So yep. I didn't think there was anything extra there. Like you said, a guy who'd never been knocked out, he had him down on the ground, he went down and did what instinct tells him with the hammer fist. I thought it was a beautiful performance and to Masvidal's credit he did say afterwards you know it's like hey I was expecting a 25 minute wrestling match I wasn't ready for that he got the best of me yeah and Usman is one of those guys that I've only seen improve and I love how you broke that down there with how he set up that right hand because that is exactly it like I watched that I like you I watched it at least 12 15 17 I don't know a lot of times oh yeah 20 but (laughs) (laughs) it was was just a beautiful way that he set it up and and got it down the pipe there man Mm -hmm. and yeah that's absolutely right what he says about how the fight gets stopped for one it's funny because uh when Masvidal did that to Ben Askren Afterwards, somebody else asked him the same question, and he said those punches were super necessary. So that became a thing on the Internet, and Masvidal started hashtagging all the time, super necessary, super necessary. So a lot of people, after Usman did the same to Masvidal, that we see Masvidal do to other opponents, they said super necessary. So I thought it was pretty funny that they used that the play on the words there with it. But, I mean, hey, it's going to be a good ride watching Usman really be a king of this division. I think he is bar none, probably pound for pound, rising those ranks is like I would say in the in my top three right now. I mean, Habib was always like right there with one and John Jones, but those guys are you know it's a changing of the guard now, and we're seeing it with Usman and the way that he's able to get out there and do what he does to these guys with his game plans. He's he's definitely rising the ranks of that pound for pound list for me. Heidi Fang joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal covering UFC. 
the Raiders, and a whole lot more. We're talking UFC 261. Okay, Heidi, we talked about the main event, but just really somber You know, prior to that when we saw what happened with Chris Weidman and the uh, Uriah Hall match lasted only 17 seconds. Uh, the first kick, the only kick, and to see Chris Weidman uh, you know, go down with the uh, broken leg at 36 years old, a lot of questions. What is going to happen next to him? We, we know he's recovering. He is going to be fine. We don't know if he's going to fight again. But let's just talk about you know, what your eyes saw uh, in those first 17 seconds. And, and when he went down like that, I mean, anytime you have anything like this in combat sports, whether it's boxing or UFC, but uh, you know, boxing, we see you know, the, the one-punch knockout. But this was just a, a very, very strange ending to a UFC uh, match. And what's really tough about it is, okay, well, one, he's a really, what you see is what you get from Chris Weidman. Every interview, every interaction I've ever had with him, he's a wonderful person, a salt of the earth guy. Um, You only want to see good things for somebody like that. And the second worst part about it was after the kick was checked and it was like very uh, reminiscent of his fight against Anderson Silva, first of all, Um, but it, it was, he went back and put weight on the leg, not knowing it was broken. And that was just like, you know, like you stood there, just my mouth was open. I couldn't even figure like how, you know, the adrenaline rush must've been for him to not realize that his leg was broken. Like with Anderson, it was different. He did that. And then you knew right away and you heard the crack, you heard him go down, you heard him at the canvas and scream. Like, you know, with Weidman, it was like, he put his leg back down. And then he realized it was nuts. And just, you know, the fact I was reading his wife's Instagram and how, you know, she says her heart is broken for him, the heart and the dedication that he puts into it and the year that he's had. I mean, he lost, um, you know, somebody very close to him just recently as well. So having that loss, trying to get over it and, and coming back and fighting through all this adversity. And, and it's just for wide men been a, a tough road. And he's somebody that you, I know a lot of people wanted to see get back to that, but that's an injury that you just don't come back from. That's one. I mean, yeah, he might come back, but he'll never be the same. And that's going to be the hard part for it. And, you know, in his heart, like a lot of these guys, they're such solid competitors. That's all that you expect. Um, from them is that they're going to be in the sport they're going to be in the sport from a long time and it's going to be hard for them to walk away but unfortunately for chris weidman he might not get the chance to decide for himself when it's time to walk away the injury may be what tells him he has to walk away and that for him as like as somebody who's been a lifelong competitor it's going to be really tough so we'll see how he rebounds from it but i know he'll be positive minded he's that type of person so i'll expect him to come back you know saying all all the best things that you can imagine and maybe even trying to make another run at it but you just i don't think he'll ever be uh back at that elite uh, contender position that he has been Uh, again it's just not probably in the cards for him after that uriah hall becomes the first fighter to win a match without contact that's yeah. Well, without landing any without blows, landing, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the entire fight stats was one kick landed, and the guy that threw the kick lost the fight. Yeah, and broke his leg. Just uh, amazing. And, and before we leave this, uh, regarding Weidman, a lot of you know, you heard Uriah Hall afterwards says, "Hey, I owe him a fight," and I know that. <laughs> You know, that's kind of the, the, the nice thing to say, and he felt very, very bad. And I thought he handled this, uh, you know, beautifully, uh, Uriah Hall did. But uh, I can see Weidman probably coming back just as a feel-good story. And I agree with you guys, he's probably not going to have any, any type of career. But these are the type of stories, like the Alex Smiths and, 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 and other yeah. stories like this, where you could probably see it. Will Hall... And will Dana White make this fight again to say maybe two years down the road when he's 38? It could be. But it just seems like it needs to happen. Uh, Maybe if it's not against Hall, but Weidman to come back for this great feel-good story. And and we see it more and more, especially the way athletes do recover these days. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I think he could come back. I just don't know in what way, you know, how, how... how that injury, how he's going to heal. I mean, it looked like he broke through straight, like, you know, just like Weidman. They're probably put it, I mean, uh, like Silva, they probably put some titanium rod in there. And you're right. Like the UFC even has their performance institute here in Las Vegas. Uh, granted, Weidman's an East Coast guy. Uh, that's, you know, where he's always trained with Sarah Longo Camp. 
But I think that if he were to come out and use the UFC's resources, he would have them at his disposal for his recovery and for tracking how he can get back to health full speed. And that's one of the great things about the UFC having built that performance center here. And so many of the athletes that I've talked to about it, they just love that place because they take care of them with their meals. They take care of them with their training. They help them get back on the horse from injury. There's been a lot of people, uh, fighters that have gone through there that have had some sort of nagging injury that's may not have been underlying throughout. But even though they've tried to get treatment for it, it's just never been 100%. And so many of them walk out of there saying that they were able to get back to 100% under the guidance of some of the people there. So that's something maybe that Weidman can take advantage of with the UC. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things, like, again, we're going to have to see how it heals how long it's going to take in the recovery process. Even like with Alex Smith, he fought off infections. He fought off different things that happened throughout that process of trying to get back to health where he almost lost his leg. We just don't know at this point how serious, how severe, how intense that process is going to be for Weidman. So, you know, uh, never say never, but you see this all the time with guys like Dak Prescott, with Alex Smith, um, even in the NBA, you know, it's, it's one of those things they're never, never the same athlete again. And with the age fighting against him being 36 and all, it's going to be even harder for Whiteman to come back. So, you know, I wish him the best. He's again, like I said, one of the bar none best guys in the sport. You only want to see good things happen for him. So I hope that with that being said, that he does make a full recovery. He went through surgery yesterday. They insert a titanium rod into his tibia. So yeah, tough, tough stuff. Yeah, the other thing about that, too, is it takes two to tango, and I don't know your, where Raya Hall is two years from now. Mm-hmm. And, and as he said in the post-fight press conference, he had something similar to this happen in a training session with a teammate once before. So, you know, af- after going through that and basically two guys breaking their leg against you, I don't know how that affects him mentally and what happens to mm-hmm. him next right. time he gets in the cage or who he fights next. Does he get a top-10 guy now? I mean, it's not like that was a great performance. Uh, he's also around 36, so I, I don't know. First off, Chris Weidman's got to come back and be ready to get back in there. I don't know Uriah, where Uriah Hall is going to be in two years. And here's the interesting thing with Uriah Hall is he's always been his own worst enemy. He's one of those guys that has always had the mental um, I guess, strain about it, kind of like a PTSD, if you will. So if you remember back when Uriah Hall came into the UC, it was on The Ultimate Fighter. He knocked out a competitor, um, Adam Sello was that guy's name, with a wheel kick. And when that wheel kick hit and landed, Adam Sello's breathing was so awkward. It was like the eeriest thing you ever heard after a guy got kicked and knocked out. He was breathing like this, like, (laughs) you know, and uh, that went on for a good while on the airing date that that episode was shown. And he, you know, received treatment. He got through it. It was okay. In fact, we interviewed him on the show that I had some time after that, um, after that episode aired and he was fine, you know, Um, but Uriah Hall after that said that he would never throw that kick again because of the damage he thought it did to that guy. So now you're going to have to wonder like, what does he do? Stop checking kicks? You know, it's it's insane to say, but he's a pathicist by nature. And even though the job, you know, is so violent, he's a guy that it gets in his head, the damage that he has caused to people. And so I don't know when you think about the mental struggles that he's had, how he comes back from this. And that's something when he was on the ultimate fighter, it was the season with Chael Sonnen and John Jones as coaches. And he was on the Sonnen team and Sonnen uh, went and talked to him to help him through these issues and to try to get him out of the rut that he was in mentally. And, you know, he said, once you get past that and you let go of the darkness, you know, you'll be, you'll be okay. But for Uriah Hall, it's been a constant struggle that way. And there's a lot of times you don't see him unleash the striking that you think he's capable of. And there's a lot of reasons behind that for him. It's his his own self holding himself back. So uh, I don't know how he'll come back from this. Obviously, it was really a devastating injury and what Weidman went through. And I was really appreciative of the fact of how Uriah Hall handled it in the post-fight speech that you heard him give. He was, he was, you couldn't have said anything better than what he did. And so in that moment, I think he took it and he had showed the right poise. So that gives me hope that Uriah Hall will recover from it and the mental type of state, you know, that he'll get over it. But it's always a question with me with Uriah Hall going into any fight is, is he going to have anything mentally hold him back 
from being the athlete that he's capable of being. So we'll have to see how he how he comes back. Like you said, Frank, a couple of years, you know, down the road, you just don't know where he's going to go. Is he a top 10 fighter in that division? He could be. But it's, you know, we need to give a better showing than that to be able to get into those ranks. I'd say he's at least top 15 right now. He's definitely elite. All right, Heidi Fang, get ready to go to Cleveland, cover the draft, <laughs> right? Right? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, get some good food. Real quick, uh, what do you what do you think? What uh, talk a little bit about your duties? What do you think the Raiders are going to do with that pick in the first round? Okay, so I've been one talking about the safety position. I've been a fan of TC's Trayvon Merrick there. Um, if he's available, a lot of people have been thinking they go offensive tackle because it's a very rich class of offensive tackles, depth wise, and that uh, Christian Darisaw might be the right pick to go with there from Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know, he, he had a pretty good year. And you look at his numbers, he didn't allow sack. You know, he's pretty good on, on hurries, um, pressuring against the, the line that's opposing. So he's done pretty well. He's fought against some big, tough guys, you know. His weight and height is good for the NFL. So when you start thinking about what the Raiders need, they definitely need some help on that O-line. Uh, they're going to need to strengthen up the depth there. I wouldn't be surprised, not at 17, but I wouldn't be surprised if John Gruden goes with the route of a wide receiver at some point later on in the draft. Um, and it's just, you know, I think uh, if you look at it, the, they'll probably beef up a little bit on the defense. Um, look for a linebacker. I could see them going after a linebacker. There's Micah Parsons, but I just don't think that, you know, that Litany Lion will be there when it comes time. Litany Lion. Sorry, I got my tongue tied. Litany. Um <laughs> At that point, I think he goes a little earlier, um, like maybe 12, 14. But it, I don't. I could see them looking for another linebacker down the road. Um, maybe in the third round, there's some good picks there that they could make. Uh, but, yeah, I would say right at the top, probably tackle safety because they have a 48 too. So if you go second round, you could go, you know, safety tackle, then tackle safety because there's some good position players on either side. If you look at the first and second rounds, that would probably be available at either spot. So that's what I'm looking at. But I think that the smart move would be to go tackle first because they have enough people right now with Carl Joseph, with Jeff Heath, when you see Jonathan Abram, if he can make the progress and the leap that they need out of him for the coming season, those would be a good one, two, three hit in, in the Gus Bradley system. But you still need to back it up. So I think they're going to look to draft a safety. I think they're going to look to draft some cornerbacks. And I think definitely offensive line help. So Heidi Fang, she's got get- it dialed in. She's dialed in. She's the whole board. The Raiders need everything. Why not? So there you go. All right, we got to go, girl. You enjoy your flight to Cleveland. Let's talk uh, while you're back there. Let's try to do that if we can and uh, give us the -the up-to-the-moment happenings there on Thursday. How's that? Yeah, we didn't even get to some Chanko and Fog Rose. No, no time for that. (laughs) Jeez, because right now we've got Chuck Berry. we got Jack Rabbit Slim. We're going to go out. Heidi Fang, have yourself a good one. (laughs) Thanks, guys, for having me. Take care, girl. There he is. Covering right. the UFC, the Raiders, got it all. It's nonstop. All right. We're reconvened tomorrow. Terrible Tuesday thoughts as well, too. So have a good one, Frank, tonight. I will try, and I have a terrible Tuesday relevant to that UFC card. Ooh, sounds good. All right. We're going to shake it up here. If you miss any part of the show, go to tcmartinshow.com. Shoot. That's all you had to say. But when the sun went down, the rapid tempo of the music fell.